Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. Uh, this is a great, great Thursday. You know, I shouted and hooped and hollered when Derek Chauvin was guilty three times. I waited to hear all three of those guilty pleas. That was phenomenal. I had no sense of, I guess I was 50-50 on whether or not they were going to find him guilty or not for the murder, lynching of George Floyd. So start off this morning with that great, great news that there might be some changes coming in the United States as it relates to black folk. And today we're going to talk to Bonnie Turpin about some changes to be made in South L.A. for black people in South L.A. Good morning, Bonnie. Good morning. Thank you so very much for getting up so early uh, to talk to us <laughs> at 7.30 in in L.A. and California. So thank you for getting up and taking the time to talk to us. Thanks so, for having me. Great. I understand you're going to start a food co-op, a grocery store. How we have begun, get... Vernon. We've been started. <laughs> oh, okay. We just got to get the store open. But we are an organization with 549 owners now, owner households. And um, we are moving forward with opening a full-service grocery store that's owned by the community in South L.A. So I take it you used to, you know, work in a store. You you learned, you grew up uh, studying how to do a, open up, but I mean, how to manage a store and stuff. And now you're living your lifelong dream. Is that how you got started in this? <laughs> No, no, it was all uh, very much a surprise to me that I would be doing this. In fact, if you had asked me, you know, around 2009 or 10, would you uh, do this? I would have said, what are you, crazy? But um, I, I studied acting <laughs> growing up, and I came to L.A. to be an actress, and I am an actress. But in 2010, I purchased a home in South L.A., and I found that I was not able to buy the kinds of natural and organic foods in my neighborhood that I was used to having. And I was going back to my old neighborhood in Hollywood to buy food. So after some discussion among family members, one of whom was working for the county supervisor at the time, she suggested I open a grocery store. And I, you know, that was not an attractive idea to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> but she said that the supervisor had tried to lure some of the natural food stores um, and, and stores that we all frequent who carry organic, tried to get them to come to South L.A., and they said that there was no need for them to come here because we would travel to them. So wow. somehow... Boy, that's, mm, that's arrogant. Okay, that's really... Yeah, okay. It is arrogant. And some of those very stores have since 
opened new stores on the kind of bookending our community. So there's there's one over at USC, and then there's one over in Ladera, but they don't come into the heart of South L.A. So um, I got the idea that the community should own the store. It wouldn't be my business. It would be something that the whole community could take ownership of. And I started to research cooperatives, and that's how I ended up here. You have any idea how you got that idea that the community should own it? Mm-hmm. Where did that idea pop from? You know, I'm from Michigan, and in the Midwest, there's a lot more co-op. I had been, you know, and I've been shopping at health food stores my whole life, you know. So when I went to college, I went to Howard University, there was a co-op near... H-U! 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 <laughs> I taught five years at I taught five years at Howard in their business school, and I, I taught at San Diego State, uh, Penn State, Howard, and then GW. And Howard was my wow. best students. Howard was by far my best students, and that was that was that was fun. That was the funnest part of my life in teaching. And I'll get back there one day in the classroom, but I really loved the students at Howard. I taught there from eighty nine to ninety four. Uh, when did you graduate? I was gone when you came in. Um, I did not graduate from Howard. I left and went to NYU. But so, but, but you you were in the fine arts. You you were in the fine arts yeah. department. I was okay. in the fine arts department, acting major. There was a co-op in Adams Morgan. I can't remember the name of it. And I didn't even join the co-op, but I shopped there. So I was kind of... You know, I feel like it was in my DNA. Put it that way. I feel like it was in my DNA, and it didn't kind of blossom until the need arose. But once it did, I'm seeing a lot of things that I was fond for from childhood. My parents were active in the community. My parents were board members on the school board and Urban League, all these different things. And I had never been active that way before starting the co-op. But it was it was in me. Okay, so you got this light bulb moment. The community should own it. And then you, re- you remember Adams Morgan, you remember co-ops, and you started doing research. Where did that take you? What, what did, what's your next step in this sort of light bulb moment of co-op, community ownership? Yay. I went online, and there were manuals, how to start a co-op. <laughs> And I got very excited, and I found out that there was um, a nonprofit called California Center for Cooperative Development up in Berkeley, or Davis. I think they're in Davis, California. And they have a yearly conference. So in April of 2011, I went to that conference. And I went up to Berkeley, and I stayed in the cheap motel, and I did not rent a car. I walked the conference from the motel every day and it was amazing it was amazing i was floored i was so excited and so inspired i think the keynote speaker was dana harvey that year who started the mandela food cooperative in oakland which is a worker co-op and can i stop you one minute here just (laughs) i was a keynote speaker for cccd in 18 and it was in san diego 
So they had me to come out. Uh, Kim Koontz had me to come out and be the keynote speaker. And I had a ball. It was wonderful, the numbers of people there and the things that they were talking about. And, yeah, they do mainly focus on worker co-ops. But there was all types of different co-ops there. So I got to know them when they – well, I I had had her on the show. Kim was on the show, and then she invited me to come out to be the keynote that year. All right, go back. I'm sorry to cut you off, but go back to your story. You're there, stayed in a cheap motel, and walked back and forth yeah, to yeah. the Dave conference. Yeah, yeah, was the keynote speaker, and the featured co-op was La Montanita. And if you know anything about La Montanita, they are very impressive. They have like six or seven locations by now in New Mexico. So, and uh, are, are, they, are they a food co-op? Yeah. I don't know them. It's huge. Food it's great. It's, it's fantastic. I got to go to one of their stores in Santa Fe. But they were talking about how they work with local growers and local producers, and they put together products that carry their own label. And that stuff just got me really excited. Who knew that this actress (laughs) would be so thrilled by the idea of having healthy food available in our neighborhood, really, is what it boils down to, because we just don't. We just don't have access to as many of the really great healthy food products, as as many organic products as other parts of the city do. We don't have in our on our shelves of the stores here in South LA. And during the time that I've lived here, three of the major grocery stores in the neighborhood have closed for different reasons. The most recent one is that they don't want to pay the hazard pay because of COVID-19. So we are completely without a full-service health food store, and we are low on conventional grocery stores. So I just really feel that this community should not stand for that and that we should take matters into our own hands. Right on. (laughs) True (laughs) activist. Okay, let's do it. Okay, what's the benefit of the community owning their own grocery store? The benefit, there's always a benefit when you're doing something for yourself because you're going to do it better than somebody who's just trying to make money off of you. I mean, a cooperative, the greatest thing about cooperatives is they're they're for-profit businesses, but they don't exist just to make a profit. They exist to serve. And so we want a store that's going to serve us in a great way. And as a community ownership means that the community has uh, input in what the store is, what the store sells, what it looks like, what the area around the store is like. And they also, the profits are shared among the members in profitable years. So the money is recycled into the community in that way. And also, you know, we're committed to, you know, providing local, foods as much as we can and supporting the local economy in that way as well. We're in Southern California, so there's a lot of agriculture not far away. So even even right now, we have a CSA program that we participate in that is all locally grown, like in South L.A., organic food. What's CSA mean? Community-supported agriculture. So basically, okay. it's a produce bag subscription program. And we do it through Community Services Unlimited. They are the organization that farms and organizes the produce bags. 
there's a young black lady in D.C. that does that. She grows stuff and puts it in bags or boxes and sell it to people. Locally grown. I get your excitement about this. An actress from Michigan who went to Howard and could not buy. You used to live in, in Hollywood as, as you're mm-hmm. acting. Somewhere you got enough money because of your acting and so forth to buy a home. And you went to South L.A. You went to the neighborhood in D.C. That would be Ward 8 on the other side of Anacostia where there's food deserts today. And there are folks talking about starting a food co-op in in, uh, in Ward 8. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to talk about Ward 7 and Ward 8, maybe two food co-ops in each. But that's a whole other story. So it's the same, but the same kinds of reasons. But you mentioned something that I want to uh, co-ops compare to capitalist business. Co-ops are concerned first about people, then about the planet, and then about profit. They have to be concerned about profit or you can't stay in business. But it's people first, planet second, then profit. We're capitalists, and I got my MBA from Stanford, and we were only concerned about return on investment. And that was capitalists are concerned about three things, profit, profit, and profit. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. We'll talk more with Bonnie about starting this business. We'll be right back. Information is power. And today we're talking to Bonnie Turpin about starting a food co-op. And we're going to talk more about the information that she received when she went up to the CCCD conference in 2011, April 2011. You went to your first conference. So what are, yes. what are some of the kinds of things you learned? I know you met different people. and You, you met this food co-op in New Mexico. And you went to visit them, and you le- just kept learning. And I understand from your from your laughter that you enjoyed the things you were learning. Is yeah, right? I um I knew nothing <laughs> at that point, so I was just kind of a wide eyed. And they gave me a um I think I still have it somewhere, but they gave me a name tag lanyard thingy, and it said untitled. South Los Angeles Food Co-op. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and well, that sounds like that sounds like Deb Trocha. Uh, Deb is the, the one that run. Oh no, Sue Kim, uh, uh, Kim Koontz. Kim you hadn't Koontz. got to Deb yet. Kim Koontz. Okay, go ahead. Untitled. Right. Uh, so, so they had workshops on all different aspects. I don't remember exactly what I took. I know I took something about, you know, developing a board, and there was uh, I, I can't tell. I don't know what all the co- of the courses were, but there was. It was about two days of workshop on co-op, and you know, this particular conference was not focused specifically on food co-op, but it talked about you know what the structure is. There were, of course, in cahoots with with what was then called. Um, Cooperative Development Services, cds.coop, which is now called Columinate. And so they have a structure, a model that they offer, uh, four cornerstones in three stages. 
So they talked about that. I was introduced to that. And let me give a plug yeah. to Columinate. Columinate does a great job. Mark Goring uh, runs Columinate. Uh, and, and so they're just phenomenal consulting. They are a co-op of consultants. And, mm-hmm. and they focus, their, they, they grew up in the food co-op world. And then they branch out to do consulting in, in all aspects of co-op. But they're great. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, so uh, it was it was just um, everything co-op, basically. <laughs> and I, <laughs> okay. I'm really happy to be there. And they, you know, they provide the meals and everything for the conference. And CCCD does the food really well. <laughs> they do great food. You know, it's California, hey. Yeah, so. yeah, they do great food. <laughs> yeah. So I looked up La Montanita co-op in uh, and so we're going to look about trying to uh, getting them on the show at some point since they have five stores and they're um, probably experts in running this and doing this. Okay, so you're you've got 549 uh, folks. So what were the steps that you took to try to get these people? Now you're all by yourself with this idea. Okay, what what did you do besides go up and, and learn? to the street <laughs> essentially I did I I had no experience in this at all and uh, I came home from that conference and I started making a list of people who I knew in the area who I thought would like this type of store and the type of store I'm talking about is a health food store and I wanted it to have a teaching kitchen to where we could have cooking classes and um, food education going on. I wanted the store to have a deli and eat-in capability, cafe, coffee, juice. I wanted the store to be a place for the community to gather and do, you know, community events as well. So I started talking about it to people I knew, and I put together a list. I had about 30 people on the list when I called the first meeting in July of that year. And about 13 people showed up. And of that 13, the first steering committee members appeared. And it was really phenomenal, the type of talent that immediately was drawn to this point, you know. And I had a guy who set up the whole online presence, the website, the Facebook, the Twitter, Instagram wasn't a thing yet. But um, he did all of that. Another steering committee member was a graphic designer and filmmaker. Mm. He designed our logos. He designed our T-shirts. He designed our yard signs. He designed every flyer we did for the first couple of years for events. We held some amazing events in the early years of organizing this. And um, and then I had another lady who uh, joined the steering committee who grew up here locally, and she later became the manager of our local farmer's market. So she would allow us to have a table, an information table at the farmer's market for free. And then later on, we started selling some bulk organic grains and beans at the market, and so she helped us out with that. Just a lot of a lot of people showed up early on to let me know that I was on the right path, basically. Even a, a young lady who was um, 
a UCLA grad student in urban planning, just popped up and said, oh, I'm a, I'm a grad student in urban planning. I would love to do your feasibility study as my thesis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got a free early feasibility study, you know. So, uh, you know, we did it again years later and paid for it, but that was great. So we got started and we started, we were advised early on not to incorporate right away because we would incur taxes. So we spent the first couple of years just, you know, raising awareness, building a listserv, tabling at every community event and doing some major festivals ourselves. So... I still feel your excitement uh, about this project. I guess you went into acting because of excitement and enthusiasm about acting. How does this compare with that excitement in your life? Acting versus starting a grocery store, a healthy food I, store. I feel like really, Vernon, it's all uh, divinely ordered. I went oh, into acting okay. because I had asthma. <laughs> And because I was an asthmatic child, my mother, who was a psychologist and social worker, decided I needed to express myself. And she enrolled me in acting classes. And when she told me I was going to go to acting class, I was nine years old. And I said, okay. And I walked away and I was going upstairs to my room and I stopped on the landing of the stairs and I said, that's what I'll do. I'll be a movie star. All right. And I never let that go. I never let that go. (laughs) I stuck with it. So that's how that happened. (laughs) Asthma to acting, okay? That's right, and I still have asthma. And you went from no food to grocery store, no healthy foods, and then they have food desert to a healthy food store. Well, we haven't opened yet, but that's the plan. I know. That's the plan. Oh, it's already done. I got that when you said divine order. It's divinely ordered. It's just a matter of timing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if it wasn't, those people wouldn't have showed up in the beginning, and I would have stopped because I wouldn't have been able to do anything. I don't know how to set up a website. (laughs) I don't think you know how to run a a business either, let alone a food business. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) I I, I learned how to attract the people who can do it. Divinely ordered. Okay. Yep. Asthma to acting, food desert to a food store. That's right, the cooperative. And, you know, one of the reasons why it needed to be a cooperative is that, you know, the reason that we have a food desert. Why do we have a food desert here in South L.A.? Vernon? Do you know? Why do you think? Well, because black people don't eat healthy foods, so they won't come in. And they don't have green money, right? Oh. <laughs> um, you mean that yeah. black folk and white folk don't make the same amount of money and have the same uh, No, wealth? I mean, we're, we're, we're talking around this, but what we're saying is that it's because of systemic racism. These stores didn't, didn't see the need to serve this community, which is black and brown and gentrifying quite rapidly right now. So, um, yeah, so they, they passed us by. Passes by. Okay, Bonnie, we are going to take our second break, Ms. Turpin, and we're going to come back and talk about systemic racism and other pandemics that 
blacks are facing and we cannot get the kinds of businesses in our neighborhood that we need to would give us good health. So that's why we have a lot of pre-existing conditions that COVID has shown us. So we're yeah. going to come back and talk about that and talk about how this food co-op can help with all of that and other co-ops. Everybody out there will be right back. We'll talk more with Bonnie about these problems that face our black communities. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Miss Bonnie Turpin on today who's talking about divinely ordered life, going from asthma to acting, going from <laughs> Michigan to Los Angeles and Hollywood, then buying a house and going over to South L.A. to the neighborhood, and and there was no food. There was no healthy food. Yeah. So drive back to Hollywood to buy healthy foods. And so she decided that the community should own its own food and then it found out it was a co-op. So she's gone from food desert to a food co-op with 549 members. You can go to their webpage to see where they are at uh, solafoodcoop.com, solafood, S-O-L-A, South L-A, food co-op. Dot com, and you can see uh, that they're bringing fresh, healthy food to South L.A. Okay, so there was just you with an idea. You went up to CCCD annual meeting. You learned a lot. You met a lot of people. What what happened next? And we're going to get to this discrimination piece here, this systemic discrimination. But what did you do next? Well, after the first meeting, the steering committee was formed, and we started meeting, I think we were meeting every two weeks for a long time. And, you know, all these things were being put into place, the design of our logo, the website, all that type of stuff. We, were, we, were, we had some flyers we were placing around different places, and we set up a MailChimp list and we started doing a monthly newsletter. So whenever there was a, a health fair or any kind of community event, there's an organization called Food Policy Council that would do some events, in, in not necessarily in South L.A., but um, we started going around to different gatherings and talking about this co-op. And wherever I went, I would say, hey, is anybody interested in, you know, this kind of store. And when I said I ran out in the middle of the street and <laughs> I was not really kidding. <laughs> that oh, okay. <laughs> but the street was, it was a festival going on. This is a we. it's called the Taste of Soul Festival that happens every October here on Crenshaw. And it's a huge festival with music and food and all kind of stuff. And one of our friends, Ben Caldwell of Chaos Network, which is a very interesting organization in, in Lamert Park, had a table and said, oh, you can, you, can, you can be on our table. And, you know, we were just basically signing people up to our listserv. But his table was kind of out of the way. And so I took my clipboard and walked out into the crowd and just started talking to people. Just started talking to people. Hey, we don't have a health food store. We need this and we need that. And would you be interested in, in working on this or hearing more about it? 
and people would give me their email addresses, and that's how we got the list served. There's almost 4,000 people right now. <laughs> you almost you have 4,000 people on your list, sir? 4,000 something, but it's a, it's a, it's a big list serve. We do a, a monthly newsletter. Well, it's bi-monthly now. But for, for many years, I was writing the monthly newsletter every month. And um, now we have a, an outreach and engagement manager who's doing it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A, is that a paid position? She is our only paid position. Oh, I was only kidding because most of the time those are all volunteer positions. So you have enough coming in to, yeah. to pay somebody. She does a lot of work. She does a lot of work. So we have one. Well, she's not really an employee. She's an independent contractor, but, yeah. All right. So you're running out in the street, getting people to sign up. That's up to about 4,000. You have 549 members. What does membership mean? What does it take to be a member? For our co-op, it's a $200 investment per household, meaning that your entire family that lives with you can be on your membership. And it is payable in, you know, we have payment plans on the website, so you don't have to pay it all at once. But what that entitles you to is a voting share in the co-op. So basically, you elect the board of directors. You're eligible to serve on the board of directors. And once we're open in profitable years, you receive a share of the profit according to your patronage of the store. So depending on how much you spent in the store, you get some of that money back at the end of the year in profitable years. Now, members can decide. There may be years that the membership decides we're not going to disperse the, the profits among the members. We're going to buy something that we need in the store. You know, we need a new refrigerator or we need uh, new tables or something. We're going to invest that money back into the store. There may be years when that needs to happen. But in general, that's how it works. Okay. Who can become a member? Anyone. Anyone? Anyone can Anyone. become a member. Yeah. So what you've just been describing are the co-op principles, and the first one is uh, volunteer and open membership. It's that uh, anybody can be a member. It doesn't make a difference about your gender, your where you, how much money you have, your race, your political or religious affiliation. It just doesn't. There's no discrimination in a co-op if it's a co-op. If it's running like a co-op, there's no discrimination. And then you talked about that they could elect your board. There's the second one is uh, Democratic member control. You have 549 members. Each one of those have one vote. And then they vote for the board and elect a board. One member, one vote. So you don't say the, the person with the most money gets the bigger vote, as we right. do in the capitalistic system, because they have more shares. The more shares you have, then that's based on how much money you have. Here, everybody only has one share, one vote. And then you talked about member economic participation, which is a third principle. You have to pay $200 to get in, and when there's a profit, you get some money back. Oh, but you get to choose how much of that profit comes back. Okay, you could say none of it's going back. We're not going to do dividends or patronage, whatever it's called, because we're going to keep the money in the business. And I find that co-ops do for three things with that money. They can say keep it in the business for growth, help with the social 
programs at our community. Give back money to the community, mm-hmm. the second thing, or give dividends. And the members, those 540 members, it'll come up to be 5,000, 10,000 members at some point. They decide what happens to that money. And the fourth one I like is autonomy and independence, that they, the members must control their business. Nobody else can control it. Government can't control it. The bank or wherever you get money from can't control it. The, the, the members must control the business. Management doesn't control it. Members must control the business. The fifth one is what you've been doing almost since day one. That's education, training, and information. Getting educated on how to start, operate a successful business, in this case a co-op business, working together. And that fifth principle is what first attracted me to co-ops. Because I've taught, and we 10, also do educational programs for the community. Yes, and I like that idea of having a teaching kitchen in mm-hmm. there to teach people about nutritional foods and how to make it and how to prepare it and what to do and all of that stuff. Yeah, the sixth principle is cooperation among co-ops, and whether that's going to the co-op in. New Mexico. Now, how do they re- re- receive you? Do they say, oh, we can't tell you because we are competitors, we can't give you information? How, how did they receive you in, in teaching you about co-ops? At, at, in New Mexico? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I was there visiting a friend, and I said, mm-hmm. oh, is this store near anywhere near you? And it was. And so we went over there, and whenever I don't remember specifically the conversation at that store, but I've never had a co-op not want to talk about itself. <laughs> you know, so there's usually someone, a manager, somebody there who's willing, very willing to talk to you. We'll give you email addresses of their board members, you know, and, and we'll show you around. So they're very welcoming. And, you know, you're getting ready to go to P6, which is cooperation among co-ops. So, yep. That's principle number six. And so co-ops help each other. We've received grants from other co-ops, you know, to help to help us on our way. So that's, that's the second reason I liked about co-ops, because I had grown up in the capitalistic model and everybody holds data. You hold it, you protect it. I don't want my competitor to know blah, blah, blah. But in co-ops, uh, you go to these conferences like you went to, and people just give information they sort of like hug you and bless you with information and and that's exciting particularly what we did you know and try that and that's called p6ing their idea <laughs> we p6ing their that other co-op yeah and the seventh exactly. one is concern for community and that's in the dna uh just really figuring out what to do and that's why i like you started out with that one the community should own it uh, you started mm-hmm. out with community in your dream, in your divine order. Community should own it. And you said that people live in a community that works there. The profit that's made in the community, the profit stays there. So it's all community-driven. How do you build South L.A., where the people that live in South L.A. own the businesses in South L.A.? Uh, they own the profit in South L.A. Okay, And this gentrification won't move them out. Mm. Yes. Okay. So there's a huge co-op movement here right now. And a lot of, um, uh, I think, co-op businesses looking to come up. And we're looking for more co-op businesses to come here because we want, we want the, we don't want this community to be displaced. You know, it's fine for others to come in, but don't come in in a way that 
makes it impossible for the people who've been living here to stay here, you know. Yep. And that's what happens in D.C., in gentrification, in Shaw mm-hmm. community right now. Uh, okay. Uh, co-ops are based on the values. The first value is self-help. And it's interesting, that's the first one, that we need to help ourselves, that you, Bonnie, have decided to help yourself. But you do it with community. And that's what I find very, very interesting. It's not like you've got to pull yourself up with by your own bootstraps or you've got to be like John Wayne or somebody and I go out here and I conquer. No, it's self-help, but self-help with community, with a group. And you got 13 people in your first first event. That's yeah. exciting. <laughs> That's exciting. With but all kinds of I skill sets. I tell you about our first big event. That was our first meeting that I called. Yeah. In 2012, we did a major music food and music festival with 13 bands and vendors and food. And it was just amazing. And... You know, you could ask me how I did that, and I wouldn't know. I had no idea how we put that together, how I put that together. People fell in place again and provided. And and a man showed up who put me in touch with all these organic farmers who donated all the food, and he cooked all the food and brought it to the venue, and (laughs) the venue was donated. It was just, you know, incredible. Well, you said divine order. You didn't do it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I do you it. Just, you're just an instrument. I in just that. was here. Okay. I just was like, now what? <laughs> so it's it's the value of self-help, self-responsibility, taking responsibility, democracy we've already talked about, one member, one vote, equality, equity, and solidarity. And that solidarity is a piece of us working together. But I really like the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. I say caring for one another, the golden rule, divine order. We'll be right back. We're going to take our final piece. And I want to come back and talk to you about these, this, this uh, systemic racism and other pandemics. And what do, you, what do you see how this co-op and other co-ops can help bring us on the other side of these pandemics. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. They, they have been our sponsor now for seven and a half years that we've been on. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities like South L.A., and, uh, by providing innovative financial and related services. And too often, one of the big problems with starting any business is getting that capital, that, that initial capital. And we're talking to Bonnie Turpin today about starting a business in South L.A., and that business is to bring healthy foods to the neighborhood, and the neighborhood is a food desert where three grocery stores have left it, and they weren't the best grocery store. They they didn't provide all of the healthy foods when they were there. So what I said, Bonnie, was that I wanted to talk to you about systemic racism, which I, I find is one of six pandemics. The first mm-hmm. one being COVID-19, uh, which has, has shown and took the cover off of our pre-existing conditions in the black neighborhood. 
those pre-existing conditions often was because we didn't have nutritional foods or couldn't pay for them, as you've already talked about it, because of racism, which is the second pandemic that I see. The third one is the economy. The economy is bad because of, of COVID, but it was always bad for blacks anyway. The, this whole system for 400 plus years have been racist and keep us from uh, having income and or wealth. And then there's the climate change with the fourth pandemic and guns and people killing each other is a fifth one now. I'm liking that Biden is, uh, is, is attacking all of these. But the sixth one is the hardest one, and I call it stupidity. The numbers of the stupidity is what keep people in these pandemics and keep these pandemic going from people saying that COVID is a host to not taking the vaccine to all kinds of issues with racism, that somehow they believe white folks are superior to black folk and whatever. But I really believe it's, it's people wanting there to be racism, wanting there to be divisions and keep blacks and browns fighting each other or poor whites and blacks fighting each other. And the co-op world is what you're talking about. We just come together and solve issues and solve problems. What do you see on the other side of this, or what can co-ops do? Food co-op in South L.A., small part of the, the of the universe. But what can you do to help us come out of, of these pandemics, or either, any one of them? Well, Vernon, like I said, I'm an actress. I don't mm-hmm. have the answer to all these big questions, but... I feel that the cooperative business model is the most humanitarian business model there is. When people come together to create a business to serve a need, not just to make money. The business can also make money, of course, but to create the business to serve a need. And I think we need to just encourage young people and people who are coming out into the workforce now to work with others to create their own things, you know, whatever kind of cooperative, car wash cooperative, house cleaning cooperative, bakery cooperative, artist collective, uh, all different kinds of things to come together so that people can own their own businesses and, and share the profits among themselves and not be taken because we're being taken. Basically, most of us work, we, we, we work for somebody else, they take taxes and money out of our pay, and, you know, we're just making enough to get by. We're not making enough to get ahead, we're not making enough to create the world that we want. So I think that cooperative businesses, not just food co-op, but across the board, you know, help make it a more equitable world. They make it more fair and not just profit-driven. You know, really, really, um, when people have more more input and more control over their businesses, I think that's a better situation. Okay, so I have it here, uh, Bonnie, that you went from asthma to acting, <laughs> divine order, asthma yeah. to acting to activist. You said, oh, I'm just an actress, but, okay, yeah. humanity, humane model. I, I, I love it. Thank you. There are four types of co-ops. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, it's a worker co-op. This food co-op could be a worker co-op, but if it's owned and controlled by the people that buys the products and uses the service, it's called a consumer co-op. That could be a housing co-op, a credit union, a food co-op, 
REI is a consumer co-op. As a health clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, that's owned by the patients, and they get to say what goes on there. A group of people can come together or businesses and create a purchasing co-op. They buy products and services for, for that group, and you could do that also. You could find out by creating these local growers to create a purchasing co-op for them. A group of people or businesses can come together and create a marketing product co-op. So those are the four types, worker co-ops, consumer co-ops, purchasing co-op, marketing co-ops. Marketing co-ops, farmers like uh, come together and made Cabot Creamery, Lando Lakes, Ocean Spray. There's a group, uh, Bonnie, you, I want you to know about. It's called Ujama, black women in Pittsburgh. They, they are artists. They, they make jewelry and clothing, U-J-A-M-A-A. They came together, made a co-op. They've got a, uh, a storefront, and they have phenomenal jewelry. I went there one summer and bought all of my Christmas gifts for all of the ladies in my life, and I told them I only had one complaint, and this is shocking as a, as a, as a consumer. I told them their prices were too damn low. Um, excuse me. <laughs> too low. Too low. Okay, I wanted to, and for Pittsburgh it might have been fine. For D.C., New York, probably L.A., they were way too low. Quality is phenomenal. Everybody, my daughters, my lady, my my sister, everybody loves these products. So, uh, as you said, you can have any type of business, and you decided to do a food co-op, and a food co-op could be a worker-owned, or it can be a consumer-owned or hybrid. They're now having them both. I like the humanity part of this that you said to overcome overcome some of this these pandemics that we're looking at, and I like that you're an activist, uh, an actress that's an activist who has asthma. Okay, <laughs> what's the next step for you in this the journey? Yeah, is tomorrow we're going to meet with a consultant about doing our pro forma. We've already decided to engage him, and I, tomorrow we're going to start, you know, laying the foundation for the pro forma to be done. So the pro forma is your income and expense statements and your balance sheet, mm-hmm. and the assets you have and, and <clears throat> liabilities that you have. Okay, so you did do a feasibility like, study. Like how much we can, how much our store can generate, how much revenue we can generate in the area where we want to locate and things like that. So when you, you get your pro forma done and then you go to the bank for a loan for the mortgage on what or the lease what, that you're going to get to open the store, you, the pro forma shows them what you're expected to be able to pull in. Yes. In revenue. Yeah. You sound like an actress. <laughs> you sound like a business person. <laughs> so you're learning this stuff. You're acting like a business person? Well, okay. Yeah. You're, act, you're, you're a great actress because you know it. This is the stuff you know. So from CCCD, you had told me earlier you went to the up-and-coming conference that's run by the Indiana Cooperative Council and Deb Trocher up there. And you met some people there. Who are the kind of people that you met there? Well, I met Food Co-op Initiative, Stuart Reed and Jacqueline Hanna. They also help um, put together that conference. The, you know, I started going to the up-and-coming conference because it's one that's specifically for food co-ops. And there are, you know, two to 300 startups 
across the country food co-ops. And so, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. There is a business model and a, a plan for what you do at each stage of development. And that's a lot of what, you know, I've learned at these conferences. And what do you do next? You know, what do I do next? So, so yeah, so I met not only the developers, the people in co-op development, but a lot of other people doing startup co-ops across the country, and they share their information. So it's great. Fantastic. Now, you only have another minute left. What would you like to leave people with? What message would you like to leave people, Miss Asthma Actress Activist? I feel like it's really important at this time in history that we take a turn, you know, turn away from these huge big box corporations and, and make it smaller again. Let's bring it back to the people because these big stores are just, you know, they're steamrolling over us and they don't really care about our needs the way that they should. So by forming co-op, we can form businesses that really exist to serve our actual needs in the best way possible. The way you take care of your family, that's the way you would take care of your business, your cooperative business. So it it brings the heart back into it. Phenomenal. Thank you so very much for taking the time and for bringing your heart into this, your your enthusiasm, your energy. I I love it. Thank you for being on the show with us this morning. Everybody out there, uh, you're welcome. Please live this week. We'll see you next Thursday. Please live it cooperatively and put your heart in it. Have a great day. Thank you.